Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. Larkcast. You are joined today by me, Russ, and my co-host with me today, Jameson. How you doing, dude? I'm doing good. Yeah? Yeah, we're hanging in there. Yeah, Iowa, summer, it's got to be Iowa. hot, man. You know what? Today it's not even going to hit 80. It's beautiful. It's blue what? skies. It's incredible. My kids right now are at an apple orchard with my sister and my grand- my parents. So uh, yeah, it's it's incredible. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to hear any of that. I love South Florida where I'm from, but at this time of year is where we become the most miserable because everybody else is picking apples and throwing on a sweatshirt and watching football, and we're still sweating our brains out with 95 degrees. Man. But that said, not going to complain anymore. <laughs> Glad all of you are checking in with the LARCast. We've got a definite go. uh, good episode for you. We're going to be diving into John 6 today, picking up where we left off in our last episode, where there are a number, a number of just crazy questions and statements, answers, you could say, from Jesus between the Jewish crowd and him in regards to who he is and what he's doing. And it's beyond life-giving, man, when you can pull back and begin to peel that onion and see what he's saying, which is what we're diving into. But before we get there, I just wanted to say, number one, big shout out to everybody who's been supporting the LARCast. Seriously, thank you so much. The creating content, traveling the country, spending time with people, man, that are grabbing on the good news, helping people who are passing on good news to neighbors. None of this is possible without your support. Your giving is what provides us with the time and the ability to travel. And all this is leading to the spread of God's scandalous grace in a world drowning in religion. So seriously, thank you. Um, if you're not joining in on that yet, feel free to go over to LarkSite.com. Check it out. You'll see a donate button there. We are a licensed nonprofit. All giving is tax deductible, just to be clear. So again, thank you for all those who are supporting that and for those who are going to jump in and come help fuel this band of misfits. Also, real fast, there is a new free resource available on the website. Go to LarkSite.com. Click on what we're doing in the menu you'll see an area that says resources, click it. When you click that, you can set up a free membership, 100% free. And with that free membership, you'll have access to a new piece we just dropped last week in our emails that go out, uh, which is called the sanctification primer. The bottom line is spiritual growth is a complex thing that most people have found themselves uh, just sort of buried in, man. It wasn't It wasn't something liberating. It's almost like spiritual growth and the freedom and rest Jesus promised are, they they, they can't coexist, which is really crazy seeing how the one's supposed to be the outflow of the other. (laughs) So we took some time to really dive in and unpack what the scriptures actually say about this. So if you haven't got a chance to grab a copy of that, feel free to do so over at LarkSite.com. Now, with all that said, dude, John 6, picking up, crazy scene. Jesus just fed 15,000 people. They wanted to seize him and make him king right on the spot. Like this dude just needs to be in charge of all earthly operations. 
This is what we need. This is how we achieve the ideal self and the ideal society. And Jesus, God in flesh, dwelling among them, thinks opposite, which should make us pause. And he actually escapes, heads away to the mountains and prays and seeks the Father because everybody is wanting a wonder-working Messiah instead of the actual Messiah who came to bring the kingdom of God and to dwell among us. So that's kind of what's going on. Jesus then, as we saw last week, heads comes down out of the mountains, walks on the water, right? Encounters the disciples there, heads over to the other side of the lake, right? And while he's there, the crowd that was fed earlier has now moved to the other side of the lake and they're all convening there. Still in mind, how do we drag this dude to Rome and somehow overthrow what's there and make him the leader of the known world? And that starts to unpack and unveil a number of sort of questions and answers from Jesus. So that's what we're diving into here, man. So without any further delay, Jameson, why don't you go ahead and get us started, man? And uh, let's, let's go ahead and start peeling this onion, dude. Let's peel the onion. And uh, we've said this before, but I think it always, always bears repeating. When you're reading the gospels, you have to keep in mind as an interpretive lens if you want to call it that the finished work of jesus because all four gospels are always moving towards the literary climax of the crucifixion of jesus um mm. every author is all almost always pointing toward it and moving toward the crucifixion it's not like just a detail or a chapter at the end of the story yeah. the gospel writers are literally constantly building this uh this progress in their story that moves toward the cross um, yeah. we have to keep that in mind especially when we're drilling down deep like we are today in john 6 and i think that's especially helpful right now because john just turned everybody's face toward the passover right we talked about that last week everyone yep. now knows the context is we're celebrating the thing we celebrate every year which is the reminder of how God is the one who led us out of Egypt. God is the one who got us out from under Pharaoh and he took us into the promised land. Right. So we're celebrating. Yeah. Like literally liberated us from slavery. Yeah. That's For this God. 400 years. Yep. We're enslaved. God shows up and gets us out. So the Passover is when Jesus starts turning his mind and i think we need to see a little bit of the humanity in jesus here because there's a lot of it because you remember like you said russ uh when they tried to make him king they were going to force him to be king to yep. basically uh they because they're like if this guy can make bread out of nothing then he can definitely kick out the the roman emperor and he can make us our own thing this is the impulse of peter mm -hmm. <laughs> the get behind me satan right so Jesus yep. is dealing with this temptation, the temptations he experienced earlier, he's even experiencing now. Like, yeah, I could do that. <laughs> I mm. could go that route. Um, I think him escaping and getting away is not least of which like this, he's in the middle of turmoil and he's feeling all kinds of stuff. I don't think he's as like heroic as we like to make him out to me. He's like, oh, I'm good, I'm fine. It's just gonna do it my way no he leaves he disappears for crying out loud okay yeah. does the opposite of what anyone in power or wanting power would do 
Let's just yep. keep this in mind. Yeah. So we're going to pick up in verse 28. Then they said to him, so he just told them like, don't work for food that goes bad. Uh, work for food that endures for eternal life, which the son of man will give you. Okay. Then he said to them, or then I'm sorry, the crowd responds to this. What must we do if we are to carry out God's work? Dum, dum, dum. Okay, it's not what we thought. So now you should tell us the new formula. <laughs> it's not like we turned you into our king and we're not just eating bread. Like now we've, okay, it's different. Well, then tell us, what do we do? <laughs> yeah, what are the works of God? What is the will? A lot of translations, right? And the scriptures will translate it that way. Like, what is the work, the will of God? Tell us, please. We need the formula. Here it goes. Jesus's answer. Are you ready? Everyone should know this one, or you've probably heard it a billion times if you've been in the church. Jesus gave them this answer. This is carrying out God's work, or this is God's will in some translations. You must believe in the one he has sent. Mm. You must believe in the one he has sent. Period. Full stop. So Bro. they said, okay, like there's like, they're, they're retorting at this point. Jesus didn't expound. He didn't go past that. He, he just, that's what he said. Nope. Oh man. I mean, you're touching on one of the most disruptive passages. I feel like in all of the Bible. Yes. In my opinion. Okay. God. Okay. Jesus. We're wondering, right. If you we're still wondering if you are God in the flesh, if you really are the Messiah, you seem to definitely be able to do more than we can and know more than we do. So then what is the work of God? What is the will of God? Cause I've been pursuing it my whole life, trying to adapt every formula out there to achieve the ideal self, to, to obtain the ideal society. What is it? And his answer to them is, this is the work of God, that you believe in the son in whom he sent. Yep. That's it, dude. As you already said, period. End of statement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a cage rattler, dude. It is a, yeah. it's a, uh, how do you put it? To me, like, I've been studying theology for a long time now, and when you come across sentences like this, it yep. ends up <laughs> like everything in my theological bucket gets shaken, turned around and then dumped out on the table. And I'm like, well, what am I, how do I fit everything into this statement? Because this is, it legitimately runs directly counter to so many things I've all, always already thought. Um, yep. So and it's so different, man, like than anything I think that they were expecting, because again, they yes. come out of this conditional promised framework, right? Understanding of God and life, whether it's, whether it's relationship with God or relationship with humanity in any, in any capacity, it's, it's always an if then form. It's always a merit demerit form. If you do this, then you get this. If you don't do this, well, then you don't get this. Yep. Therefore, I need to know all the things that I need to be doing and not doing and the best formula that I need to apply for the day-to-day -day operation of not doing this and doing this so that I can hopefully achieve and begin to bask in fill in the blank. 
and you have Jesus saying, no, the will of God is that you just trust the son. Yep. It was in that relationship that you were designed to live forever. A relationship, a life lived in, right? The dance with the Trinity itself, father, son, spirit. Mm. I've come to bring you back into that. And everything you seem to want is the opposite of that. Because somewhere along the lines, you got this idea that God was something different and life was something different than what it is. And there was this formula that was out there that you needed to grab onto to get there. And I'm here telling you, yeah, you're wondering about eternal life, eternal bread, something that sustains you forever mm -hmm. here and yeah. there. And I'm telling you, it's me. It's just me. <laughs> Man. <laughs> but then he keeps going, right? It starts to get into like, like, the, like these guys literally start using scripture to push Jesus toward their agenda. Well, think about how insane this is. So yeah, man, keep he going says that and they respond, what sign will you yourself do? The sight of which <laughs> will make us believe in you. And I'm sitting here reading like, whoa they he just yesterday fed fifteen thousand people with three pieces of bread <laughs> and you guys are like hey okay you just said all we have to do is believe in the one god sent okay yep. well what's your sign to prove that you're the one god sent and i i think it's there's great point by the way to be so preposterous when you look at the text Okay, but before we dive in, I've got a little tributary, something along the side here we need to, to pull in. Uh oh, This question, okay, that they dropped on Jesus, what must we do to do the works of God, to do the will of God, to carry out God's will, right? This is a common question, and I am going to go ahead and say you probably have thought it and asked it too it may actually be the framing question for your whole life like have you ever wondered russ like okay how do i make sure like i'm in the right lane <laughs> how do oh, i make yeah, sure i'm on the right side of the debate how do i make sure that i've done enough of whatever i'm supposed to do yeah yeah christianity starts to feel like shoots and ladders man almost daily mm. you know there's yep. this there's this red dot will of God that's out there and there's this endless winding road to get there filled with right shoots yep. and ladders. And we're all trying Set to figure out what it was that we did that led to the shoots and what was it that we didn't do that led to the ladders. And you know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. What must I do? And I think it's probably all just derives from that ultimate human fear of not really knowing what God thinks of us. That's it. I think that's why throughout the scriptures, we see people going to Jesus, not just here, right? But in many places. And ultimately their question is, what must I do? Yep. And his answer every single time is what, dude? Chill out. <laughs> <laughs> So, and I think like to your point, and just to put even a little more like weight behind it, one of the guys that I love to read and listen to Baxter Kruger, he has said this on multiple occasions. He says, the 
question that is perhaps the single largest question looming in the minds of human beings everywhere is what does God really think of me? Like you said, yeah. and I want to say that again, because I believe I feel it. Russ, it seems like you feel it. And I'm going to go ahead and just take a wild guess that the people listening to Larkcast, they're on the same page here. Like yeah, what does God beating. really think of me is that's the framework that I've looked at so much of my life that I've lived so much of my life out of. Well, it's helpful that that question shows up then throughout our New Testament verbatim. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what you're referring to Russ about like, well, what's Jesus answer every time? I'm just going to go ahead and do a quick rundown of all the times. Okay. And I'll go as fast as I can. Matthew 19. This is good, man. Yeah. Matthew 19, Mark 10 and Luke 18 all have the same story where a rich man, sometimes he's young, sometimes he's just a rich man comes up to Jesus and he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I'm going to go ahead and say that's a, that's pretty dang near the same exact question, right? Yep. A whole story comes, you can go and read it for yourself, but the punchline isn't what we think it is. We think the punchline is we'll go and sell all you have and give it away to the poor because the guy doesn't. And then he goes away sad. And Mark specifically says Jesus loved him when he looked at him. I'm like, Whoa, okay. That's not the answer because you read two more verses down and what it says, the disciples are pressing in. They're like, well, then who can be saved? Yeah. Who's going to do what you just said? And Jesus said with mortals, this is impossible. Yeah. But with God, all things are possible. Now, before you start seeing that's those, the part you never really hear though, in the sermons, you just hear, go sell everything you own and God will love you, and then you'll be a part. Not realizing that what we think is moral here is actually immoral. Because you would make yourself and all of your children, okay, and your spouse homeless and hungry, and therefore put in harm's way. So this doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense. Seems to be more to just be more... Jesus, Jesus is using something that's very near and dear to this guy's heart to drive him to what you just said. With man, what it is that you need to do to live and dwell with God is impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's impossible. And for whatever reason, it's been separated out of the sermons, but it's been blown up in all these cool, crazy colors in all the Hallmark cards, <laughs> because it basically does the same thing that the people that got fed all the bread want to do. They're like, oh, this guy can make bread. Let's make him our king. Well, we like to use that sentence that says with mortals, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible to say, see, anything I want to do with God as my helper, I can do it. And I'm like, no, that's not what this is talking about. Yeah, this that's not even the context of the stories. Yeah. The question is, what must I do <laughs> to inherit to eternal life inherit eternal life right? it's not possible like with mortals there is no possibility yeah. the lawyer with the good <clears throat> samaritan stories right same thing what i need to do i've done all these things jesus is like oh really well let me tell you a story about what this actually entails what it really means to love god and love your neighbor and then he gets to the end with a very shining mirror right in front of his face in which case he's revealing to him you can't do it because with mortals, this is impossible. Yep. 
So I identify with the broken one who's me, my life for your life, because with me, I'll bring you home. In other words, with mortals, it's impossible. But with God, guess what? All things are possible. Exactly. Which is the whole story of the Messiah and why he's come. It's because everything that's needed is impossible with mortals. It's only possible and it's only brought about by someone else on our behalf. God in flesh, Jesus Christ. What makes us here with mortals, this is impossible and say, okay, then how do I apply that to my life? And then go and try. Like that, that is the madness that I feel like is going on probably the world over, but especially here in our backyard in, in American church, um, yeah. we're, we're trying to find the right way, the right way to live this thing out, um, the right way to get it done or whatever. And there's, I mean, here's a couple more examples. The, the Pentecost sermon, Peter's preaching, everyone hears him. Afterwards, they're cut to the heart. They come up and they say, brothers, what must we do? Or brothers, what should we do? That's, that's it. That's the question right there. <clears throat> Peter just preached an incredible sermon. Peter's reply is, repent and be baptized, every one of you, mm. in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> repent and be baptized does not sound like go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and make sure that you're a really good neighbor to dead guys on the side of the road. <laughs> it's, right. just, it's just straight up like, hey, forgiveness is here. Yeah. All you have to do is accept it. Another well, Whenever one, you hear that really fast before you go there, whenever you hear that story out of Acts, man, you always, people always attribute what they went and did. Well, they gave to the poor and they served one another and they ate yeah. meals together and no one was without need, right? This is what it means to be a Christian. If you do these things, then you'll inherit eternal life. And it's like, that is not at all what it says. Peter preaches the gospel, the good news of God's brokenness, right? For our brokenness, hmm. his resurrection, our resurrection. They then come to him afterwards. What must we do? Believe. Yep. Period. Everything else that happens is just something that the spirit seems to be doing in and among those people in that place and time. It's a description of what God's done. It's not a prescription for how to get God on your side or how to inherit eternal life. I feel like that section of scripture, dude, is undone more than anything else in regards to the mm -hmm. nature of church that has led more people to drowning in an endless myth of religion, yep. completely missing the very life and freedom that Jesus already gave them. So anyways, cheers to bringing that one up, man, because you're right. It's what Peter said belief that's what you must do same yep. thing we just read in john 6 that jesus said yep crazy i know dude did you know paul <laughs> said the same thing <laughs> acts 13 paul is unpacking the good news in a synagogue in pisidia and he ties the bow on the whole thing by saying let it be known to you therefore my brothers that through jesus forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you mm important language by this jesus everyone who believes is set free from all those sins from which you could not be freed by the law of moses <laughs> acts 13 38 to 39 that like moses and everything that goes with it which is what the people in john 6 are familiar with and what they're tripping over D here's the implication of this there are 
no unforgiven sins ever. Like he's proclaiming forgiveness of sins, not proclaiming come and ask for forgiveness. And this is wait, 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 what? This is befuddling to us. <laughs> I'll just I'll we got to keep going. So the last one in Acts 16, Paul is jailed. The earthquake shakes, right? Yep. The earthquake breaks them loose. The guard is about to kill himself because he's like, Man, if I let these guys go, they're gonna torture me i'm just right. gonna go ahead and end it now paul's like that, that was yeah that was a practice among roman jailers that lost a prisoner yep yeah and paul's like whoa whoa, whoa stop <laughs> don't do it don't do it man and so the guy replies sirs what must i do to be saved there's the question again and they answered believe on the lord jesus and you will be saved mm. it's it's I feel like the case has been made when the question comes up, the answer's clear. It's not something you do. Uh, it's not because of you. It's, it's Jesus. And there's, there's, yeah, we let's go back into John six rest because. Well, I feel like it ties in man with what you're saying. Cause what you're making a case for is whether it's with Jesus or later with Peter or later on, right. With Paul, we're seeing that, the Messiah came, as he himself said, to take away, Jesus' words, to take away the sins of the world. Mm, yep. It doesn't mean that the spirit of self-reliance, right, uppercase sin, you know what I mean? It's not going to be running in your veins. It is. It doesn't mean that we're not flawed and we're not foolish and we're not frail and we make mistakes because we do. And it doesn't mean that he's taking away the law and he's like somehow diminishing what's good and right and beautiful to walk in because he doesn't. He's already made all that known. What he's saying is that through him, through his death for our death, he's going to take away the sins of the world. He's going to reconcile all things through his blood. He's going to make us the righteousness of God, 1 Corinthians 2. He's going to hide us in himself, Colossians 3. He's going to make us one with himself, John 17. He's going to bear the fruit of his love through us, John 15. Hebrews 10, he's going to fully sanctify us by his blood. And we're going to learn to walk in this beautiful reality. Our sins have been past tense forgiven. Hmm. The work of God is to believe in this son who's done this work. This is life, which he goes on and describes. If you look in John six, just going back to like you mentioned, verse 32 Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. I love that. Moses is a waiter, bro. Like you don't cheer for your waiter for, for, for going out and buying and making this beautiful steak that you're eating. You cheer for your waiter and tip them because of their great service to you in delivering this good and beautiful steak that's in front of you. And so Jesus says to them, Moses did not give you guys the bread, man. <laughs> Let's just make this clear. He says, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. It came from heaven. Moses was a waiter in the process. He says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the, ready for this? World. Well, <laughs> hold on a minute. We got to make sure we keep them lines of who's in and who's out, bro. <laughs> Yes, he gives this to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. 
And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Okay, verse 35. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, he says. Wait a sec. Well, no, actually it says I will sometimes cast out. Some translations say I will cast them out if they do not do enough. I will cast them out if they fail to meet the mark. I'm just kidding. Jesus' words here. He, just, <laughs> he literally says, I will never cast out those who come to me. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven, this very bread of life, what, right, which is eternal, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that nothing. he has given me. Apparently he's in control. Just saying, just saying. <laughs> But I will raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You're wondering what the work of God is? It's that you believe in the Son. You're wondering what the will of God is? It's that the Son would lose nothing, no one who comes to him. Yep. Christianity is not a game of shoots and ladders. It is not a religion for the winners who figure out how to love God and love others, sell everything they own, right? Go down the list. Jesus makes it clear over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Christianity is a fellowship of the losers who have given up on their ability to truly love God and love others. And in that have clung to the son who came to do that for us. And in him, they would dwell. The work of God is that we would believe in him. The will of God is he would lose none of us who do. These are Jesus's words. We are free to stop distorting them. Or to let, we are free to stop letting religion drown them out. Mm -hmm. This is life-giving, dude. This is good news. Verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves, a bunch of yahoos. No one can come to me unless the father has sent me, draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. And it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He who has seen the Father, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believe, believes has eternal life. Has. Because has. Past tense. Right Period. now. Right now. In the moment. <laughs> but I'm just saying past tense in the sense of like been done. Yeah. Therefore, you have yep. now. Not will be done if you do blank. <laughs> Very big difference. Verse oh, 48. Man. Why is this possible? Because I am the bread of life. You guys came over to this other side of the lake, not because you wanted me. You came here because you were hungry <laughs> for a temporary <laughs> meal. You didn't want me, right? You wanted a meal. You, you, you're wondering who I am because you, you know, because I came from Nazareth, this podunk town. What is it that you guys want, man? Do you want a wonder-working Messiah to come in and temporarily remove Rome out of its place? Do you honestly think that because there was some right system in order that everything's just going to dwell in perfect harmony? 
because it's not. For the Jews, man, a prophet was good, right? But was not God. So Jesus is blowing their minds and revealing to them that he is the bread of life. Your fathers, he tells them in verse 49, ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. They ate the temporary bread that you think is the only thing that matters. And they died. Bro, yep. that's, that's serious. You're impressed with temporary bread. That people Just died wait. from. Just yep. wait. <laughs> this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Jesus is referring here to himself. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for this, he says, I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Bro, now he's starting to talk about Messiah's dying, which is humanity's ultimate need. But it is the furthest thing from their minds. Yep. And he's put himself on a level with the father. I am yeah. the living bread. He's not just saying like, they're not reading that as like, oh, he's, he's just like a prophet there or just like even as someone's directly sent from God. Like, no, 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 no. He's going yeah. to push every single button they have here. Dude, just to be clear, people wanting to lead a movement are about getting and maintaining momentum, momentum. Okay. They, the last thing they do is intentionally rock the boat by calling people out by their real motives, which is exactly what Jesus is doing. You're seeking me because you want a temporary fix of food. Not because you want the very eternal life that God created you for. You have no taste for it. No taste. Everything, dude, they're thinking, feeling, seeing, wondering. He's blowing it all, all of it out of the water. And he's doing the very opposite of anything anybody in power and momentum and change the world, right, would be doing. He's doing the opposite of it. And everything that he's teasing out of them and revealing about them and saying and answering to them. And he's at the same time simultaneously revealing to them that everything they think is needed that will bring about the fix is the opposite of what they actually need. Man. I know we're out of time, but as if that wasn't far enough, like he then says, in all like they're arguing, how can this guy give us flesh to eat? Jesus says in verse 55. My flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me, and I live in that person. As the living Father sent me, and I draw life from the Father, so whoever eats me will also draw life from me. This is the bread which has come down from heaven. It's not like the bread our ancestors ate. Skip a few more verses, 66, 63. It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh has nothing to offer. Stop, dude, right there. That's it. We're going to end there on that note, because, dude, if there was a if there was a punchline, if there was a verse to just bring it all, all of our perceptions come crashing down, that's it. 
If you thought for one second there was anything your flesh could or would ever accomplish, be ye not deceived. The very life that you need and long for is here in front of you. And it comes to all who come to me by faith. To that, dude. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers.